Hey guys, what's up? Kevin Jones, founder of Blue Wire. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Do me a favor, send it to one of your friends. We're growing this network, grassroots style. It takes everyone. You're a part of our team if you send this to one of your friends. All right, enjoy this podcast and appreciate your support. Welcome back to another edition of the Draft Board Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Reed. You can follow me on Twitter at NFL. That's at J-R-E-I-D-N-F-L. And the second day of the draft is officially in the books. The second and the third round officially took place yesterday. And there was a lot of fireworks, a lot of trading up, a lot of trading down. But the biggest move of the night came at the 62nd overall pick with Josh Rosen going from the Arizona Cardinals to the Miami Dolphins. And this has been a rumor that did surface all of yesterday, but we really didn't know if it was going to put into action, but it finally happened. Josh Rosen, he exits the desert and he enters Miami, a team that has some questions at quarterback. Ryan Fitzpatrick is there, but everyone knows that he's just the bridge guy, just the stopgap for the guy of the future. And that's exactly what Josh Rosen can be. He enters a better situation than the Arizona Cardinals were for him a year ago. A supporting cast that just wasn't there was lacking. They were last in every single statistical category a year ago. And this Miami situation is really a breath of fresh air for him. So he goes to Miami to where it's a bit of a better situation. Now, they don't have those viable options on the perimeter like the Cardinals do. They have a Larry Fitzgerald, a Christian Kirk, a David Johnson in the backfield. And the Dolphins are just supremely lacking with the weapons on the perimeter. So that is something that they're going to have to surround Josh Rosen with moving forward. But I like the move for both sides because it was clear that they couldn't keep both guys on the roster in Arizona with Kyler Murray there now as the number one overall selection just because the chemistry was not going to be there between the two guys. And you're really trying to fit a square peg in a round hole with keeping both of those guys in one quarterback room. Just two guys that have big egos. And I think Rosen's ego is probably a bit bigger than what Murray's is because he's more of a laid-back guy while Rosen is much more outspoken and he's not scared to voice his opinion and he's let that be known even through social media there's reports out there that he did block the Arizona Cardinals on everything so he's a bit of an emotional guy and there was just no way he was going to be able to fit in that room with Kyler Murray now entrenched as the leader in the desert but with Kyler Murray they made a huge investment in him as the number one overall selection and he is the clear-cut guy at the top of the depth chart now with the team trying to get back to the top of the NFC West, and that is a very, very hard division. You have the reigning NFC champs and the Los Angeles Rams. You also have the Seattle Seahawks, who are getting better every single day. Now with some draft additions that I really do like. And then Russell Wilson, you know he's always going to be there as the team's franchise quarterback, signing a fresh new deal. And then you have the San Francisco 49ers, who just acquired Nick Bosa, and then they have Jimmy Garoppolo coming off the injury. So the Cardinals have some making up to do in this division. But on the flip side, I really like what the Dolphins are doing as well because they really didn't surrender a lot of picks, and they they traded back from 48, and they took a stance against the Cardinals. And I love what they did because they did not surrender to their demands. They didn't give up an early-round pick. It was only a second-round pick, the 62nd overall pick. And I think that is very fair compensation for a guy you have four years cost controlled and we've seen how dangerous a rookie deal a quarterback's rookie deal can be in today's NFL the Seahawks really started that mold back when they were making their Super Bowl runs a few years ago so with Josh Rosen they are expected to get up to 12 draft picks next year if they if you're counting the compensation picks 
or the compensatory picks for Cameron Wake and also Jawan James, who left via free agency. They're expected to get a third and a fifth round pick for them in 2020. So they're going to have 12 picks and they're going to have over 100 million in cap space next year. So the future is looking very bright in Miami. It's just a matter of cashing in on those picks and then putting a plan in place for Josh Rosen to succeed. I want to transition now to and continue my thumbs up or thumbs down series from yesterday. And for those of you that missed yesterday's show, this segment is just about classes that I agreed with or that I disagreed with. And there were some picks throughout day two that I liked a ton. And then there was just some that just left me scratching my head and extremely puzzled. So the first class or the first picks that I really agreed with or that I liked was the Denver Broncos. I love that they went up and got Dalton Reisner with the 41st overall selection. And then they came back up again with back-to-back picks and they selected Drew Locke. And then they finished off the night selecting Dremont Jones, the defensive tackle from Ohio State. And these were three positions of need. And everyone really linked Drew Locke to them with the 10th overall selection in the first round. And the Broncos, they stand to pat. They didn't get antsy or nervous, and they really just let the board fall to them with Reisner. And then they went and got their guy and Drew Locke. And everyone has known that John Elway has been in love with Drew Locke. Maybe not as a first-round guy, but in the second round, I think they got terrific value here. And what I love about the entire Drew Locke situation is that he gets to go to a team where he's not rushed to play immediately because I don't think he's ready to play right away. And they have a guy that they can win games with with Joe Flacco, and I know things ended abrupt with him with the Baltimore Ravens, but with Vic Fangio, he just wants a guy that can keep the ship afloat, and that's what Joe Flacco can do. They're going to run the ball with Phillip Lindsey in the backfield and also Royce Freeman, and they're going to play tough, hard-nosed defense, and Joe Flacco is just going to dink and dunk his way down the field and just not mess things up. But behind that, you have Drew Locke, a guy you can call your quarterback of the future while you have your bridge gap guy in place already with Joe Flacco. Drew Locke can sit for one to two years, and you already have him in place behind Joe Flacco. And I just love this entire facet and area, what Don Elway did, and also Vic Fangio and how they addressed not only their defense, but also they addressed the offense. They took Noah Fant with the 20th overall selection in the first round. So now they're surrounding Drew Locke with these weapons, also providing him with protection. And I love the Dalton Reisner pick because he's a hometown kid. You're going to get a guy that is going to give you his all every single down because it's just different when you're playing in your hometown, in your hometown soil. And that's exactly what Dalton Reisner is going to do. We'll see if he does play guard or center. They seem to be set at tackle now with Garrett Bowles and newly signed Jawan James. So we'll see what happens exactly where they do play Dalton Reisner. But I think the Broncos took a lot of positive steps to reclaiming as being one of the top competitors in the AFC. The next team that I gave a massive thumbs up to was the Philadelphia Eagles. And I just love how they always attack their needs. And that's what Howie Roseman does. And he doesn't just think for the now. He thinks for the future. And that's exactly what they did with Andre Dillard in the first round at the 22nd overall selection. But just focusing on day two, selecting Miles Sanders with the 53rd overall selection. And then J.J. Arcega-Whiteside with the 57th overall selection. Those are two very strong picks, not only for the now, but of the future. And what I mean for the now is that, yes, they traded for Jordan Howard, but everyone knows that he's probably going to be a one and done there. 
you get Miles Sanders, who is a high upside prospect, and he's probably not going to ever be one of the best running backs throughout the league, but he's going to be very consistent and he's going to be solid. And he's a guy that has very low mileage. He sat behind Saquon Barkley for two years at Penn State. Last year in his first year as a starter, he really flourished. Over a thousand yards, nearly 10 touchdowns, and he just maximized his role to a T. And that's exactly what he can do with the Philadelphia Eagles. And if you think about it, he's in a very similar situation, even though he's probably going to split carries not only with Jordan Howard, but a lot of other guys in that backfield as well. But he eventually can take over that lead back role in 2020. Comes in with low mileage, doesn't have a lot of carries to his tag or to his body. So he's going to come in fresh. And I just really like this fit. He can catch out of the backfield, run between the tackles and on the perimeter. He can break tackles. He's known to be a guy that can create on many different surfaces. And that's something you have to be able to do in Doug Peterson's office. Now transitioning outside with J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. And this really gave them insurance for Nelson Aguilar. And yes, I know Aguilar primarily operates in the slot. But J.J. Arcega-Whiteside is really that X wide receiver mode. But I think he could play some Z as well alongside Alshon Jeffrey. So he's a guy that's in a very similar mold to Alshon Jeffrey as far as how he operates. I think he's much faster than what Alshon Jeffrey was coming out. But as far as their playing style, I think they win in a lot of similar ways, especially in the red zone. They have those big bodies that they like to post up and attack at the catch point, but also he can gen- he can generate separation in many different areas as well. And I think that's a very underrated part about J.J. Arcega-Whiteside's game. And if you know anything about Carson Wentz, he's a guy that makes a lot of faith throws. And what I mean by that is he allows his playmakers to make plays. And that's exactly what J.J. Arcega-Whiteside does. He likes to go up and attack the ball out of the air. And Carson Wentz is going to allow him to do that. So he's a receiver that I think could prove to be the steal of the second round and of the entire draft as well because he's entering a situation where he can make an immediate impact And he's going to an offense that really likes to push the ball down the field. And him being a vertical threat is an area where he can thrive in. A team that seems to always attack the second round successfully in an aggressive manner. And that's the Green Bay Packers. I absolutely love what they did in the second round. Getting Elton Jenkins with the 44th overall selection. And then coming back and getting Jace Sternberger in the third round with the 75th overall pick. And offensive line wasn't a huge need for the Packers, but it probably was in the top four or top five, I would say, after tight end, wide receiver, and safety. And it's something that I expect them to do on the latter half or the earlier portions of day three, I should say. I think they'll probably go ahead and grab one of their guys earlier on, probably in the fourth or the fifth round, I will say. But with Elton Jenkins, he provides that interior versatility that you're looking for. He has experience at center, guard, and even tackle. He's played some games there during his time at Mississippi State, and he's not a flashy player by any means or by any stretch of the imagination, but he's a player that just does his job. He stays in front of his guy, he drives his feet, he fires off of the ball, and he just covers guys up. And that's what you notice about his film, and whenever an offensive lineman's film is boring, it's a really good thing. And every guy is just not going to pile drive guys in the dirt or finish guys that way, but he's covering guys up. He's creating lanes for running backs, and he's very successful in pass protection. And I think he had one of the more underrated careers of any SEC offensive lineman coming into this entire draft. He's never been an all-SEC selection, but he had a very successful career at center and guard for the Bulldogs. So he's probably not going to be a starter during the earlier portions of his career just because the top five is really set for the most part for the Packers, especially after they signed Billy Turner this offseason. 
but he's a guy that could prove to be one of the better depth pieces, not only in the NFC North, but across the landscape of the entire NFL when when we look back on this draft in three to four years. With the Jimmy Graham experiment really seeming like it's on his last legs if it doesn't work out this year, I really like the addition of Jay Sternberger, specifically with how good of a weapon he is in the red zone. And we've seen how the Packers do tend to struggle in the red zone from time to time, really creating those mismatches outside of the Devontae Adams fade balls to an extent or Aaron Rodgers or Aaron Rodgers just trying to create off script for the most part and just running around and throwing up prayer balls to some of the receivers on the perimeter. But I thought they didn't take a full advantage of Jimmy Graham in the red zone last year just because he garnered so much attention in that area. Being that he's such a big guy at 6'6", he's going to attract a lot of defensive backs and also linebackers in that area. So the best way to do that is to get that guy that can play behind him that is that receiving threat. I love what Jay Sternberger did in the red zone a year ago. Had over 10 plus touchdowns there. All his touchdowns really came in the red zone, I should say. The only receiving threat in the country that had under 50 catches, but 800 plus yards and 10 plus touchdowns. Now, he is a bit of a one year wonder, and there is some concerns about if he's a flash in the pan type of prospect, meaning that he only had one great year of production. A former quarterback that really started off at Kansas and then he transferred to Northeastern Oklahoma Community College. So he's been well traveled, and I love his story, as I just said. And he found a really nice stop at Texas A&M. He flourished in his one year there, but he goes to an admirable situation where he can flourish as a receiving threat. And I really like what he brings to the table in Green Bay as a compliment to Jimmy Graham. Now, he's he's not going to be a ferocious blocker by any stretch of the imagination, and his value is going to come as a receiving threat. So it's just a matter of how Matt LaFleur really implores him in that offense. But I think he can be a really nice compliment to Jimmy Graham as a rookie. The fourth team on my thumbs up list is the Tennessee Titans, and they only had two picks on day two, of course, in the second and third round. And they take A.J. Brown in the second round and then Nate Davis in the third round, the guard from UNC Charlotte. And this is a team that has a true downhill, tough, hard, gritty approach to the game. And that's exactly what both of these players bring to the table. Starting off with A.J. Brown, a guy who I think dominates in his own domain, a guy that I call he makes a living in the basement. He isn't a guy that is going to attack above the rim or attack the ball at his highest point much. But in between the hashes, that's really where he does most of his damage. But he can survive in spurts on the outside, but it's not a place where he's going to make a living for the most part. But with Marcus Mariota in that RPO reliant type of offense in Tennessee, which is very similar to what he ran at Ole Miss. I think this is a situation where he can walk into and be an instant impact type of contributor. And we've seen how starved they are at the receiver position. And Corey Davis just hasn't lived up to expectations. And he has his weeks where he looks good. And then he has some places or some situations where he just disappears in spurts. So getting A.J. Brown to take some of that pressure off of him, I think it will be good for him. And they have some other intriguing pieces on the outside. So I love adding A.J. Brown to this group overall just because they don't have that instant impact type of contributor right away like A.J. Brown does bring to the table. And it relaxes a bit of pressure off of Corey Davis as a whole because he's going to occupy a lot of underneath coverage. Now, he still needs to work on getting off press coverage just because he does tend to struggle and he doesn't have a release plan when teams do come down to challenge him. And that was evident against Alabama and LSU. He really did struggle against press coverage in both of those games. And 
NFL teams are going to see that. Defensive backs are going to get in his face, especially with him being such a physically imposing type of receiver, and that's something that defensive backs will welcome. They love the challenge of those type of guys, and that's an area where A.J. Brown is going to have to improve upon. With Nate Davis, he's going to insert right away at right guard, in my opinion, especially after Josh Klein getting cut, and they just cut bait with him, who's now moved on to the Minnesota Vikings. So they did have a need at that guard spot, even though they did sign Roger Saffold in the offseason. So they still had a need at that guard spot, and he's going to transition right away inside. He did play some tackle at USC Charlotte, and his best game of the year last year came against Tennessee, and he was playing at right tackle, and you're just seeing him finishing. And what I love about Nate Davis is that he has the strength and footwork to play right away. Now, he's not a zone scheme guy. I don't think he's going to be able to hold up in that type of scheme. But luckily, in Tennessee, they play a tough, hard-nosed, downhill type of approach. They want to run right at you and lean on you. And that's where Nate Davis does excel. And that's why I think he has a chance to be an instant impact type of contributor to this offense. So I'm excited to see exactly where they do play him. But I think he's going to be pegged at that right guard spot and getting value like that in the third round, I think is going to be terrific for the Titans, especially a team that is trying to remodel their trenches, especially after taking Jeffrey Simmons in the first round and they continue to remake their team in the middle. And that is evident by selecting not only Jeffrey Simmons, but also now in the third round with Nate Davis. Staying in the AFC South, I thought the Jacksonville Jaguars were another team that had a really fantastic day two of the draft. They trade up for Jawan Taylor at the 35th overall selection, a player that a lot of people had pegged at the 7th overall selection to this team, and they just get terrific value with the 35th overall pick. And he's going to slide in opposite of Cam Robinson at that right tackle spot to where now they have two very upper echelon bookings protecting Nick Foles, which is exactly what they need because their right tackle situation was just in flux, and they really didn't know who was going to be the starter going forward there entering next year. But Cam Robinson now returns at left tackle coming off the ACL injury, and now they add Jawan Taylor, who also had some medical reports that there were some questions out there about his knee, and that's really why he slipped to this point. And especially with all the weight loss that he did suffer coming down from 380 pounds throughout his time at Florida. So there were some questions there with him with the weight standpoint and then just how well or how much his knees were going to hold up. So Taylor does slip to them at the 35th overall selection. Once again, that's terrific value. So I really like this pick and they need to establish an identity with that offense. And you really don't know what John DeFilippo, who is the now who now is the new offensive coordinator there in Duval. So we'll see what does happen there and whether that happens or they run the offense through Leonard Fournette, which would not be a wise decision just because of how he has struggled to this point, or if they galvanize it around or build it around Nick Foles in that passing game. But they still need some weapons out on the perimeter. He just doesn't have much out there to this point. So we'll see if they do address that entering day three. But as far as the offensive line, I think they are pretty much set there for the most part. They may try to get a guard here in the later rounds, but as far as their tackle situation, I think it is one of the better duos in the entire AFC South. And then after that, they get Josh Oliver moving on with the 69th overall selection. Another pick that I did like just because this team just lacks talent at the tight end position overall and is very it is very bare for the most part. And Josh, Josh Oliver steps into a situation where he can come in, he can contribute right away, and that's why I like this pick so much. Now, he does have some work to do as a blocker, but as a receiving threat for Nick Foles, who really likes to utilize the tight end, which is what he showed with his time 
in Philadelphia with Dallas Goddard and also Zach Ertz. He needs that he needs that viable receiving option. And that's exactly what Josh Oliver does bring to the table. And I just love how they used him in the San Jose State offense when he was there. And they used trip sets where he was the single receiver to the boundary where he could be matched up with cornerbacks to the short side of the field just because he is that big body presence that does love to climb above the rim and attack the ball out the air at its apex. So I think he's going to fit in very well with this Jaguars offense. It's just a matter of exactly what they ask him to do, whether that's to be a versatile threat as a run blocker and a pass catcher, a pass catcher, or if they just want him to be that predominantly type of receiving threat, which I think will be best for him. And that's where he's going to prove to have his most value, especially early on. And then to finish out the third round, they took Quincy Williams from Murray State. A player that a lot of people didn't really know about, and I found out about him at the NFLPA game in Los Angeles, and he's a player that really jumped off the screen, especially during the game, sideline to sideline range, and he fits in with that bit of undersized linebacker that he fits in with that bit of undersized linebacker mold. He's about 5'11, 230 pounds, so he's not your typical linebacker that's over six foot and 225 to 230 pounds plus. But he has that speed that you're looking for. Tested very well at his pro day. I ran in the 4-6 range. So he has that speed that you're looking for. Now, he's not as physically blessed as a Telvin Smith or any other, like Miles Jagger, anything like that in the middle of their defense. But as far as a special teams contributor and a guy that can be that fourth linebacker off of the bench in a rotation, I think he can be that. So I really like the three picks that they did have on day two. Before we move on to the teams, a part of my thumbs down segment, here's a quick word from our sponsors. Life can be stressful, but getting life insurance shouldn't be. That's why there's Ethos. Ethos is a modern kind of life insurance that's super fast, incredibly affordable, and very uncomplicated. At GetEthos.com, there's no medical exams for policies covering under a million dollars, no hours of paperwork, or meetings with pushy representatives. It only takes 10 minutes to apply and you can rest assured knowing you've taken steps to protect your family. And in most cases with Ethos, you can have that peace of mind for less than a cup of coffee a day with no hidden fees. Having life insurance can free you from stress. Getting life insurance shouldn't cause that. Discover how uncomplicated life insurance can be at Ethos. Get your free instant quote and submit your complete application in just minutes. Just go to ethos.com. That's E-T-H-O-S. Again, that's E-T-H-O-S, getethos.com. Moving on to the thumbs down portion of the NFL draft. And honestly, there weren't a whole lot of teams that just made blatantly bad picks. But there were a couple that did stand out to me. And I'm going to go over them here in a second. But I just want to talk about this entire draft class as a whole. And I think... This is a really terrific draft class, and it is very loaded. And then going into day three, there's so much good talent still left on the board. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, Hakeem Butler, Deontay Thompson, are just a few names that come to mind right away. But with this thumbs-down segment, the team I will start it off with is the Carolina Panthers. And I understand that Cam Newton is not healthy going into the year. He's going on his second shoulder surgery now. So there is a bit of concern with that. But the Will Griss selection just didn't make a whole bunch of sense to me. And then you also trade up for Greg Little, a guy that I thought was probably a third round selection at best. I think that probably was his best area or that was fair conversation to spend on him. But they 
they use an early second round selection on him when I thought they probably could sit back and probably get some better value later on for him. And I just don't think there was any teams in a hurry trying to select Greg Little, especially at the top of the second round. And I just don't think there was a need for them to trade up in order to acquire him. So I just thought that was a bit of a rushed pick for the most part. So Greg Little to the Carolina Panthers was a definite thumbs down to me. And then Will Greer, I thought that was a bit of a thumbs down too, just because I thought they probably could have got some better value in some guys later on in the draft. And I just don't see the need to take one as high as they did. But of course, once you get to these rounds of these sorts, picks really become these lottery tickets and I understand why they took Will Greer I just I just don't see the sentiment in taking him maybe at 100 I thought they probably could have traded back a few spots in order to get him or even take a Ryan Finley or Gardner Minshew later on in the draft but who knows with these quarterbacks you really never know how they're going to turn out so we'll see what does happen with Will Greer and I just I just think that might be a bit of a weird situation especially with Cam Newton being the franchise guy there and them essentially spending a high draft pick in the third round on a quarterback who may be their future, but maybe they just want him to come in there and compete with Taylor Heineke. But we will see what happens with that and how it turns out. And lastly, the team that got a thumbs down from me was the Cincinnati Bengals with the 52nd overall selection. Taking Drew Sample there, I just didn't really understand it because he just doesn't provide much value as a receiving threat. Most of his value really lies as a run blocker. And I understand that they needed somebody at the top of the depth chart in there, but I thought there was much more options available at that spot. You have Dawson Knox, Jay Sternberger, and a host of other options in this deep tight end class as a whole. And I just don't think you needed to be in a rush to select Drew Sample at that spot. And maybe they're thinking that he has some upside that he wasn't really allowed to show at Washington, but at the 52nd overall pick, I just thought that was a massive reach for Sample, a guy that they probably could have gotten in the fourth or even the fifth round, but selecting him in the second round, I just thought that was a huge reach by a team that still is trying to remake their trenches, so maybe that's why they selected him, just because of the run game production that he does provide and the value that lies there with him, but still, just selecting him that early, that was a bit of a head scratcher for me. So we've made it to the third and final day, which really is one of my favorite days of the draft because now you're seeing these teams take these late round lottery ticket risks on these upper echelon type of athletes, but maybe have the raw talent and the upside that teams are looking for. So there's a bunch of talent still left on the board. As I alluded to earlier, there's still some very notable names out there. Deontay Thompson, Hakeem Butler, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, Drew Samia, the list goes on and on of guys that are still available that I think could be supreme assets to teams. So we're going to see a lot of teams probably scrambling and moving around to get their guys of their choosing. And we're going to see some players that we probably had never heard of or even that has been on the radar of some of the big media names as well. So I'm really interested to see what happens on the third day. And of course, I will have a podcast posted following the third day, and we will do once again the thumbs up or thumbs down segment, but we will also evaluate the entire draft classes as a whole. So that's something that I'm looking forward to. And I will do a rankings of sorts of some of my favorite classes in this, and then some that I didn't necessarily like. So make sure you stay tuned in to the Draft Board Podcast. And of course, you can find my work on CoverOne.net where I'll be recapping every pick. My day two article is actually up now, so be sure to go check that out. Also, ClimbingThePocket.com 
we're doing some reviews over there of a lot of picks throughout the draft as well so be sure to check both of those websites out and also make sure you stay tuned to the podcast tomorrow i will be posting another episode following day three of the draft but once again i am your host jordan reed you can follow me on twitter at j reed nfl that's at j r e i d nfl be sure to stay tuned to the podcast and once again thank you guys for listening and enjoy the third day of the draft